Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Thank you for that uh, warm Southeastern welcome. Uh, thank you, Dr. Aiken, for your kind and uh, gracious introduction. I was very pleased to hear uh, that uh, the seminary has been <clears throat> accepting uh, an offering for the Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering, and we're very uh, supportive of our uh, partners at the North American Mission Board and uh, good work that they are doing. I was also thrilled to hear that today's the last day to give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, uh, which means that tomorrow is the first day to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And uh, to know that you begin that emphasis so early in the year and will carry it uh, through until sometime next March uh, makes me very excited. Uh, the reality is, uh, as I uh, come back to campus today and have the privilege of being in this pulpit, uh, I know that uh, I am in a place uh, where the Great Commission is at the very heart of what uh, happens on this campus and what this institution is about. Uh, I celebrate Dr. Aiken's leadership and the uh, team that uh, the Lord has assembled here at Southeastern and uh, just the tremendous uh, sending school that it has become under his leadership. I had the opportunity, as he referenced, to first get to know him back when I was a, a doctoral student at Southern Seminary, and he was uh, leading the School of Theology there and, uh, and had been blessed over the years, not only then, but ever since, by his uh, preaching ministry, uh, by his writing ministry, just such a faithful biblical scholar, and so many resources that I've benefited from as a pastor and a preacher that uh, he has uh, made available uh, through uh, his ministry and website. Uh, but uh, beyond just the personal blessing uh, that Dr. Aiken has been to me, uh, the Great Commission culture that has been created uh, on this campus uh, has been a blessing not only to me, not only to the IMB, uh, but to the nations. Uh, the Lord has done something here uh, that uh, really no other seminary in uh, Southern Baptist life has yet rivaled. And I pray that they will, and I see some great movement uh, on our other seminaries of uh, building the kind of Great Commission culture that, uh, that the Lord has, has created here. Uh, but I could not be here today without taking a moment just to celebrate uh, what God has done here and the sending pipeline uh, that uh, Southeastern is, especially for the International Mission Board. Uh, it is a good day at the International Mission Board in the sense that I'm able to say to you, uh, that the growing generosity of Southern Baptists uh, has created a new season of growth in sending through the IMB. Uh, so there are lots of uh, jobs that are posted. There are lots of opportunities for uh, you to go if the Lord has placed the nations on your heart, whether it's uh, for a summer or a semester, uh, whether you would uh, go for two years as a journeyman, whether the career program uh, is uh, uh, the service that you would come to inquire about. There are many, many opportunities today uh, to serve through the International Mission Board. Uh, some of those opportunities limited in the past because of financial strain. Uh, well, the Lord has solved that issue, and uh, we are incredibly grateful, and I would want you to know about that, and we have several team members who are here, and you 
saw some of them as you came into chapel, please uh, have, uh, take a moment to have a conversation uh, with us uh, about that and about how God could potentially use you uh, through the IMB. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Aiken, for the privilege of being here. Uh, my assignment today, as uh, we're continuing in the journey through the book of Revelation uh, here at Southeastern, uh, is Revelation 20. So I would invite you to turn with me in your Bible or click that device on and find Revelation chapter 20. Let's read the entirety of the chapter uh, and uh, then reflect from there. John, at this point in describing the vision or visions that the Lord has given him, records this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, 
he was thrown into the lake of fire. May God add his blessing to the reading, our hearing, and understanding of his word. Historical theology students among us today will quickly recognize this text as the foundational text for premillennialism. I contend that 30 minutes does not permit a faithful exposition of the entirety of Revelation 20. In fact, so many sermons uh, could be written and preached and have been written and preached over just a few phrases or a few of of the observations that John makes. Uh, The bottomless pit of hell, the thousand-year reign, the mark of the beast, the martyrs in heaven, the resurrection of the dead, the great white throne of judgment, the book of life, all worthy, each maybe of its own series of sermons. Though... 30 minutes of preaching time here in chapel does not permit a faithful exposition of the entirety of Revelation 20, the stewardship of this pulpit, and the fact that it is my assigned text does not permit an unwillingness on my part to address this text as the cornerstone argument for premillennialism. So let me go on record today for the theologically minded among us and state that I am convinced of the veracity of that argument. I believe that Satan's thousand-year captivity referenced in verse 2 and Christ's thousand-year reign in verse 4 have not yet taken place, but surely will. I believe just as sure At the end of those thousand years, the release of Satan, followed by the final defeat and eternal punishment, not only of Satan, but of those whose names are not found written in the book of life, is a true and literal statement that will be fulfilled. While this chapter from Scripture is incredibly important and critical for our understanding of so many of the Bible's apocalyptic texts, its importance reaches even beyond that. It's not to dismiss in any form or fashion uh, the apocalyptic teachings of Scripture or the value of those passages. It's simply to acknowledge that the Bible addresses a matter that rises above the significance of our understanding of the order of end-time events. What is that more important matter Scripture addresses? It's the matter of the world's greatest problem, a problem upon which Revelation 20 shines the spotlight What would you consider that problem to be? Asking you today, what is our world's greatest problem? What comes to mind as your response? Since the first week of March, I've traveled twice to the Ukrainian borders. The scenes of war and war crimes, genocide, unfolding before our very eyes on the internet are scenes only witnessed in previous generations by soldiers and those who crossed their paths. But now on our phones, on our laptops, 
on our tablets, we see it unfolding live. And the horror is unspeakable. Thankfully, Southern Baptists are responding. Financial gifts to the relief efforts uh, through the International Mission Board and Send Relief have reached almost $9 million. Our missionaries and volunteers are ministering to Ukrainian refugees in the surrounding countries of Ukraine and providing food and medical supplies into Ukraine on a daily basis. Three weeks ago today, I greeted a young Ukrainian woman as she walked out of Ukraine through passport control and took her very first steps on Romanian soil. Her eyes were glazed. Her face was dulled by the terrors that she had witnessed week after week. In a calm and even voice, able to speak good but broken English, she began to share with me about the atrocities that she had witnessed firsthand. She pulled out her cell phone and began to scroll through the images, pointing to each one and giving me a description of the before and the after, of the horror, of the death. As she did so, time and time again, she voiced aloud the question, why has no one stopped them? Why has no one come to our aid? It would seem to me that 40 million sacrificial lambs is the price the world is prepared to pay to avoid the risk of nuclear conflict with Russia. I'm not suggesting I have a better solution, but I do believe that the travesty unfolding in Ukraine is one of the greatest problems in our world today. Yet, the daily death toll of the war in Ukraine by no means has surpassed the daily death toll of children murdered in the womb in our own country. Abortion has erased 20% of the generation of students who walk on this campus today. 40% of those who are African Americans. How could we measure a travesty like that? Is there a greater problem in our world today knowing that even the death toll daily in the United States pales in comparison to the abortion death toll each day in Russia and even more so in China? We do not lead the world on that list, though we are way too close to the top. Is there a greater problem than that kind of slaughter in our world today of the most innocent and vulnerable in our midst? If so, what is it? Of what comes to your mind when you think about the world's greatest problem? Is it human trafficking? Is it our culture's psychotic fixation on sexual deviation or what it references as gender dysphoria? Is it, as the liberal uh, politicians would assure us, climate change? Is that the greatest problem facing our world today? What is the world's greatest problem? 
I contend that the world's greatest problem can be communicated in a single word. And that word is lostness. Lostness. Lostness is the world's greatest problem, for it is the one problem with eternal consequence. Revelation 20:15 in the text that we've read says, "If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire." Verse 10 from our text indicates the lake of fire and sulfur is where Satan, that ancient serpent, and where the beast and the false prophet were thrown. And in that same verse, the Word of God declares the lake of fire is where, quote, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Forever and ever. To be separated from God because of sin. To bear the wages, the consequences of sin. It's not only spiritual death, it's not only physical death. It is eternal separation from God in hell. It is a problem not only universal to every human being, it is a problem which no other problem rivals. To use a seldom used biblical image, but one that we can capture even as John observes the titles for Satan Humanity, collectively and individually, has been snake bit. The ancient serpent is the enemy of us all. It's a condition common to humanity. I suppose one could say we've all voluntarily joined, voluntarily joined the, the snake bite club. I first heard of a snake bite club as a boy. During a summer break in my middle school years, I attended a wildlife conservation camp in West Tennessee uh, where we spent uh, the week learning about conservation and critters. Uh, from a beaver dissection to a meal of rattlesnake, conservation camp promised to be a memorable experience for every participant, and it delivered. None of the experiences, however, compared to the two events that made the Tennessee Conservation Camp legendary. It was the Snake Roundup and the Snake Bike Club. For the Snake Roundup, we spent half a night wading through a West Tennessee swamp with flashlights catching water snakes. Then the following day, all of the non-venomous water snakes we had caught the night before were paraded through the camp in pillowcases. And that's when every camper had the opportunity to join the snake bite club. It was a simple process, really. Typically, all you had to do was reach your hand in the pillowcase, and you were an inductee. If you were unfortunate enough to reach your hand into a pillowcase of lazy snakes, uh, there was a simple process that could then unfold. Just grab one of the snakes. <laughs> if that hasn't done it, pull the snake out of the pillowcase. If still you're not a member, uh, we were instructed, just give the snake a little slap, to which he would inevitably reply with a toothy slap of his own. Mine caught me just on the back of the right hand, and that's when I became a bona fide member 
of the snake bite club. Now, that's not my only snake bite story, but I think it's my best. When we think of the world's greatest problem, and we consider what God's Word says here in Revelation 20, we should not miss the fact that John begins by describing the fate of Eden's serpent. Beginning in verse 1, I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Threw him into the pit and shut and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended, and after that he must be released for a little while. The Bible is filled with stories of this ancient serpent and of the consequences of his bite. In fact, it's early in the scriptures that we learn about him, is it not? There in the garden, from Eve's encounter, Adam's encounter, even Adam felt the sting of the serpent's bite, as recorded in Genesis 3. Picking up in verse 13, we find the, the culmination of the story as it comes to, uh, in a sense, conclusion, but not really. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. So on your belly you shall go and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then that early reference to the gospel he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The problem of the world in our day is not unlike the problem in the world. Even in the paradise of the garden of Adam and Eve's day. In fact, Adam and Eve's problem, their sin their willingness to succumb to the temptations of the serpent became the problem of their son Cain. It was the problem of the earth in Noah's day, and thus the flood. It was the problem of the earth in Jeremiah's day, and Isaiah's day, and Ezekiel's day, and it's been the problem of humanity every day since the fall. The fact is, it's a greater problem in our day than ever before. It is indeed the world's greatest problem, the problem of lostness. It's an unprecedented problem on this day. The problem is worse today than it was yesterday or any day upon which the sun has risen. Our research team at the International Mission Board reports to me a number each March. Based upon global population, the global death rate, and religious affiliation, they report to me the estimated number of people who die daily apart from Christ. That number for this year is estimated to be 157,690. It's never been that high before. Every single day, 
there are 157,690 souls who pass from life into death having given no indication that they have heard and believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that they have been born again, adopted into the Father's family, and have heaven as their eternal home. That number is not shrinking, it's growing. More people will die lost today than upon any day which the Son has said in human history. It is the world's greatest problem. But thank God there is a solution. And that takes us back to that first snake bite story in Scripture in Genesis 3 where uh, we find that illusion in Genesis 3.15, that prophetic word, the proto-evangelion, the reference to the one who would crush the head of the serpent. But the story in Genesis certainly doesn't finish with a prophecy that something would happen in the future. We see that prophecy come to pass when the Lord says, He shall bruise your heel and you shall bruise, uh, he shall bruise your head and, and you shall bruise his heel to the serpent. Uh, the Lord kept that word. In fact, we jump forward in Scripture to John 3 and see that snake bite story continuing as Jesus declares to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus struggling to understand the meaning of Jesus' words, asks questions to which Jesus finally replies, appealing to Numbers 21, where God saved the Israelites from the fiery serpents in the wilderness. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. God's solution to the world's greatest problem that solution determined before the foundations of the world were set in place begins at Golgotha where the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross and there He died. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He's the atoning sacrifice according to Romans 3. He's the once-for-all sacrifice according to Hebrews 10. He's the better sacrifice described in Hebrews 9. But the story doesn't end with a sacrifice. It does not end with the Son of Man lifted up on the cross. As we were reminded this past Holy Week, a bruised heel after a deadly bite of the serpent, accepted willingly by a Savior, is not the end. The snake bite story ends at a garden tomb where the one who died is raised, crushing the very head of that ancient serpent, casting him into the lake of fire, declaring victory over death, hell, and the grave. God's solution to the world's greatest problem, the problem of lostness, is the gospel. The true story of Jesus' death and resurrection, the good news that any who have faith in Him and what He did, who repent of their sin and confess Him as Lord, are saved from the judgment of God, their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Any who would, with faith, look upon the Son of Man who has been lifted up as the bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness feels no sting from the serpent's bite. 
but enjoys forgiveness and life everlasting. A pillowcase filled with serpents. I'm thankful no one accidentally included a cotton mouth in my pillowcase. So that story had a happy ending, and I'm here today. A serpent slithering into a garden, a fall, judgment, a cross, and an empty tomb, a gospel, God's solution. Were you to ask me today to put in the simplest terms why Southeastern Seminary exists. I would say this. Southeastern Seminary exists to address the world's greatest problem. Southeastern Seminary exists because this faculty and staff, those who study and prepare here, have been given the solution to share with a lost and dying world. It's certainly true of why the IMB exists. The IMB exists because there are yet 7,000 people groups like the Malay who remain unreached with the good news of the gospel. And of those 7,000, 3,000 people groups that yet remain unengaged with the gospel. And while hundreds of thousands die every day and go to hell, we know the solution to their greatest problem. We have the good news of the gospel to share with them. And that's why we press forward. The IMB, we're sending missionaries to share the solution to the world's greatest problem. College students, seminary students, seminary graduates, PhDs. We're sending men and women ready to begin their careers, and those are time from their careers. The world has a great problem. We know the solution. Come. Go with us. Let's pray together today. Thank you, Lord, for solving our greatest problem. And thank you, Lord, for leaving us here and letting us be a part of sharing the good news of your gospel with those who still bear the consequences of their sin. Thank you for the seminary and for all who have gone out from here to share that gospel among the nations. Lord, raise up more. Send out more. Use studies and recruiting and efforts and labors here. Lord, even as was prayed earlier this morning, to call out labors into the harvest fields, that more would not be lost for eternity in the lake of fire, but their names written in the Lamb's book of life will be welcomed into your kingdom. God, use us, we pray, in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.